They're like set rules of how you handle like holidays this way or how you dress or how you eat and all those things. And you're in a scenario where you're basically forced to say, no, that's not how this works. We just do whatever we love to do as a family unit that like you choose which of those customs that you want to carry forward or how you might like frame things a little bit differently for them so that they understand the whys and not just the like, these are the rules or the customs and rituals that might come with just like the label of what our like ethnic identity is like genetically. I always tend to try to remember like my roots, right? I would tell in the different circles that I'm in where maybe our lives might be way different than 10 or 20 years ago or the generations before us. And I do think it's important to remember your roots, right? And remember where you came from and how that might influence your perspective, because if not, we can easily lose that, right? And lose that diversity of thought. Heyo, welcome to the Asian Detox Podcast, the podcast where we boldly reclaim Asian American prosperity. We have relatable conversations about how being Asian American shows up in our day-to-day lives, how money is deeply embedded in our culture, and how you can choose to define your own version of success in a world that tries to tell us how to be. I'm your host, TJ Wei, your hashtag very Asian, non-binary, gluten and dairy-free money habits coach, and I want you to know that you don't have to live in the boxes other people put you in. You can design your abundant life in a way that honors your heritage while enjoying a life of ease and alignment. And you can do it while making money and building generational wealth. All right. Welcome to episode two, where I get to interview my friend, Mary Grace. Mary Grace Gardner is a corporate transformation leader, multi-passionate entrepreneur, and speaker who helps ambitious change makers achieve personal and professional goals with ease and joy. She helps her clients design the life they want without limits. And I absolutely love that because I'm all about living an abundant life. You design yourself. And then I'm going to read all this other stuff that would be where I would say Asian parent, like jealous that like this person knows how to do all these things or has all these credentials. So if your parents are listening, maybe... Uh, mute this part. (laughs) So Mary Grace is also a Lean Six Sigma black belt and Asian American commercial model. She rose quickly in her career, leading large-scale transformations in hospital and medical device industries, launching an educational coaching practice, and co-founding a corporate consulting company offering personal and professional development certifications. She has been featured in Business Insider, CNBC, Yahoo Finance, U.S. News and World Report, and Fast Company. She actually lives in my hometown in the Bay Area, and uh, we found this out while we were prepping for this episode, and she and her husband and two young boys are anticipating a third boy joining them soon. So welcome. Thanks, TJ. So excited to be here. Yes, so glad that we were able to do this. Before we get too far, would you share with my audience where they can follow you, find more about you and what you do? Sure. So the easiest place to find me is on Instagram. If you can go to Mary Grace Gardner, it's a new Instagram that I've launched that is an umbrella for all the things that TJ just mentioned. So that's the easiest place to find me. Awesome. And we will definitely link in the show notes, all of the other things. So if you're curious about any of these multi-passionate options that Mary Grace offers, uh, you will be able to find them there. So my first question for you, Mary Grace, this is going to be my standard icebreaker, at least for this first season. 
is if your parents were to run into an acquaintance in the grocery store, what would they say about what you do? You know, to prep for this question, I literally called my parents right before this podcast and said, hey, mommy, what would you say to somebody? (laughs) Because I wasn't sure what she would say. I said, I literally don't know what you'd say. And she said, well, I'd start off by saying that I'm super proud of my daughter because she is someone who is doing all these things and she still has time for her babies. She still has time for her husband and she has time to do all these other things without super stressing herself out. Right. And I said, okay, great. That's exactly what I hope you say. And then I said, what do you think though is my day job? Tell me what you think that is. Right. Because I wanted to know specifics. So I started questioning her. Poor thing. She had no idea. (laughs) My parents feel the same way when I do this to them. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what do you think my day job is? She said, well, before your, your day job was you're advising these executives and you were given all the big problems to help figure out when they didn't know how to address some of these issues. And you came up with a system that people followed. And despite you being younger than everybody, or maybe you didn't have the same set of experiences as them, you got them to listen to you and make positive change. I said, oh my God, that's amazing, mom. And what do you think my day job is now? She said, well, now I know you're working in surgical robotics. So it's a different topic than the hospital systems, but it's the same thing. And of course, I think part of the mom part, Asian mom part of it too, is she said, you know, but sometimes I I know you're so smart and I know that you have all this experience and I know that people listen to you, but sometimes I look at you and wonder, really? They listen to you? Like, (laughs) I said, thanks mom. Thanks for that call. Thanks mom. (laughs) Thank you. I love you. And I said, how about my businesses? What are my businesses? She said, okay, I know you have two. You have one that's in startup mode with your co-founders. So that one's still kind of growing. And then you have the second one where it's college admissions, career consulting. You're helping people to reach their dreams and their goals. And I know that there's people who are wanting to work with you and you're trying to figure out how to help more people. And I said, okay, that's, that's exactly what I would hope you'd say. So I actually was surprised that she knew so much about how to explain it. Uh, So so that's what they'd say because I literally asked her right before this interview. (laughs) Perfect. I actually haven't specifically asked my mom recently because I've changed my um, business model a couple of times since I left my full-time job. So I don't know yet what she would say. Um, but that I'm so glad that your mom has been paying attention. (laughs) I think that's the other thing too, because my parents, I have looped them in through this whole journey and process. And even for day job things, I, before they used to live in Southern California and I lived in Northern California, I'd call them all the time to loop them into what was going on and seek their advice and thoughts because they, they have always been such a great sounding board. And then even with the businesses, uh, just even running things by them and saying, Hey, what would you think as an outsider about these issues? It's just been helpful to have them as a sounding board. That's awesome. So for some context, are your parents immigrants? And if they are, how long have they been here? Yeah. So my parents migrated from the Philippines in the 80s. And so my lineage, let me explain that a little bit. So my, and the last name Gardner. So my (laughs) great grandfather uh, on my dad's side is, I think, originally uh, from the UK, but was a US, a part of the US Army uh, during World War II. And so he was a Caucasian man and he uh, was stationed in the Philippines. And so he had two children, my grandfather and his sister. 
And some legislation passed uh, back then where the descendants of those in the military were eligible for U.S. citizenship. So what happened was in the 80s, my grandfather and my parents migrated over with like my aunts and my uncles. And so I was born here in the United States. So I I referenced that because my parents did come over in the 80s, but I do have some ties still within Mm. the U.S. in terms of U.S. birth for some of my ancestors here. Gotcha. Yeah. That, that's very interesting because there's some back and forth over there. So how do you feel like your childhood looked like as an Asian American? Um, what was like the moment you realized that you were different and what kind of culture did you grow up with? So as an Asian American, I think I didn't realize I was different until first grade. <laughs> so I, I don't think I really just thought about it because growing up in my household, we had predominantly a Filipino upbringing. So Mm -hmm. I'm mixed in heritage. So on my dad's side, it's uh, the UK, Caucasian and Filipino. On my mom's side, it's a Spanish Filipino. But we always just kind of grew up in a Filipino environment, had Filipino food. My parents talked to each other in Tagalog, but they talked to me in English. So that whole kind of generational shift, right, of language differentiation happened. But I don't think I really realized anything was different until first grade. And I grew up in the Los Angeles area in a predominantly Latino community, where I think at the time when I was growing up, 85% of those in the community were Latino. And so I, growing up, my best friends were just all different ethnicities from white or black or Latina or Asian. So I didn't really know about my differences until first grade, where my friend, I remember her name is Jennifer. and I don't know why this happened to me when I was younger, but my my friends at the time tend to always be super protective of me. I have to think it was because I was petite or something. Right? Where they felt like they had to. They thought you were the small one. And yeah, I was always in the front row in taking class pictures because okay. I was. Yeah, I didn't get my growth spurt until middle school, so I was always like in the front row because I was smaller. Right, so I never asked them. I never stopped to think about it, but. Now that I realize it, like I always had friends who were willing to like stand up for me or they wanted to protect me. And now that we're actually talking about it, I'm guessing it might have been because I was petite. (laughs) But anyways, my friend Jennifer said, I have to go to the restroom. It was during recess time at school. And she said, please, Mary Grace, just like hang out right here. I know you don't have to go. I'm going to go to the restroom. I'll be right back. And then I remember there was a group of girls who were linked in arms and they said something in Spanish. And I didn't know what they said because I, at the mm. time I didn't understand Spanish. I do now. I understand Spanish now, but then I didn't. And Jennifer comes running over to me and she uses restrooms, come back and says, Mary Grace. Or at the, at the time I was Mary. I wasn't Mary Grace yet. Mm. Uh, I was Mary. She said, Mary, I'm so sorry. I left you alone. Did you understand what they said? And I said, no, I, I didn't. And she said, well, they were laughing and they said, oh, look at that little Chinese girl. She's all alone. And they started laughing. And I said, well, that's not very nice. I don't know why they were laughing and I'm not even Chinese. Like, I, yeah, yeah. why would they, why would they even say? So that was the moment I realized, oh, wait, I look different. Oh, wait, yeah. I come from a different upbringing, right? So I don't think I realized that anything was different until that moment. And then from there, I, I mean, I didn't look back and it was a traumatizing or anything. It was sure. just a moment where I realized, oh. It's like it's the one snippet in your life. Yeah. yeah. Where I realized, oh, I I am from a different upbringing. I am different. In, uh, and so I think that's where um, the moment of realization happened. Yeah. Me. I actually, I have a similar story. It was in preschool 
And it was just in passing. I didn't know this girl. Like she basically was like, aren't your eyes supposed to be like this? And then she took the corners of her eyes and then pushed them up so that they would be slanted. Oh. And mm. like, well, first of all, I didn't know this girl. So I just didn't even say anything. And I walked away. And I, I have to tell the rest of this because in my brain, what happened there, because I'm Chinese. And then I remember my mom had like a Japanese doll, like a porcelain doll with like the, the cute kimono and stuff that had eyes that kind of look like that. And my brain went silly. I'm Chinese, not Japanese. <laughs> so I'm like a, like a three or four year old preschooler. I have no context for any of this stuff. Like just all of that. But it was, you know, the same similar reaction of like, that makes no sense. <laughs> None of it. I think, you know, part of it too is for kids, they, they're still learning, right? They still, mm-hmm. they, they don't know. And I think as I got, have gotten older and have gotten reactions, Uh, Part of it is I'm helping them to understand that diversity exists, right? And that uh, what sometimes they might have been exposed to might not have been like the bigger tapestry of what's out there. So I, so my husband, he's Latino, he's Mexican. And I remember when I joined his family and would go to his family events, I would run into like my now nieces and nephews, Mm. uh, but they were really little. And like I mentioned, I, I learned Spanish. Once I started dating my husband, I, I took extra Spanish classes. <laughs> <You> understand. <laughs> and I remember one of my, my nephew, who's an adult now, but he was a little kid at the time when I met him. And he was just so shocked that I understood all the Spanish and that I could reply in Spanish, right? And I remember him saying, but she's Chinese. How is she able to speak Spanish? And my <laughs> husband turned, it's like a great learning moment, right? I tease him all the time about that because now he's, you know, much more. Right. Right. knowledgeable about all that stuff. He's in a, he's in a multiracial relationship now. So very different than when he was four <laughs> or five. Um, but at the time I remember, Oh, great learning moment for this child of first off, there is other races within, uh, aside from Chinese, when you're talking about Asian and then yes. um, second, you know, we can all learn different languages, right? And yeah. here's how this happened. Isn't that amazing, right? Yeah. That you like languages aren't something that's just downloaded into your head based off of your genetics or who your parents are or anything. It's something that we can all learn. Yeah, exactly. And I, what a great learning. I, but I wish it were downloaded because for Tagalog, I only understand it. <laughs> I can't speak it. So I know, it's I'm the same way so- with the Chinese. Like I always considered the Chinese to be like, first I had to like learn to hear it, right? Like listening comprehension. Then there's like how to speak it, then reading comprehension was not only how to read it, but then how to write it. And then because it was Taiwan Mandarin, they have the Bapamafa lettering system that goes with how to pronounce it. <laughs> so to me, that's five things. And I'm like, nope, that's just too hard. <laughs> that's why sometimes I wish it were genetically embedded because yes. it's so hard. It's just so interesting how brains get wired because I don't think my parents ever actively taught me Tagalog. I just remembered when I was five, one day I had, I went to sleep. I had a dream that I understood Tagalog and I woke up understanding it. I'm sure it's much more complicated than that, but that's the moment I remember I woke up and said, Oh my gosh, I understand what everyone's saying. But because my parents always spoke to my brother and me in English and we responded in English. Mm. I don't know what happened where I just suddenly understood them all. My brother doesn't understand as fluently. He understands little phrases, but I understood 
fluently. And then when it comes to writing, I could write it, I could read it, but then speaking, cause I never really practiced it. Mm. So it turns out that I can speak Spanish better, but I can understand Tagalog better. So yeah, it's just very interesting. It's, it's a funny mix. Work. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. I've actually yeah. learned French and Japanese as well. And then it's like, wait, what is all of this jumble that's in my head? Yeah. Um, is your brother older or younger? Younger. My brother's younger okay. than me. So my my first thought there, right, if you were the older child is your parents probably talked to themselves a lot more and you heard it a lot more because that's typically like how language downloads into the, the first child a little bit more formally than it was with the, the second child. So uh, that may be the case. Who knows? I've actually like, so actually, did you ever ask your parents why they chose to like talk to their children in just English? I think at the beginning, what they had told me was because they wanted to make sure that our English development wasn't going to be hampered in the United Mm -hmm. States. So they wanted to make sure that we didn't have any issues. But looking back, and now that I have kids, I ask them, please speak to them in Tagalog (laughs) so that they know it and understand it. That's how my kids learned Spanish because my in-laws spoke all Spanish My kid now is in Spanish immersion. He's going to second grade, my oldest one. And when my second child is old enough, and when this third child is old enough, I'm planning on putting them in some sort of language immersion because it's so much easier to learn when you're younger. And so I'm begging them now, please speak to my kids and take all and expose them to it, right? Uh, But I think it started off that way. And then as things progressed, I think it just became natural. Like they completely switch all the time to each other. They speak Tagalog to us. They speak English. And when I say, Hey, why didn't you speak to us more in Tagalog? They'll say, well, we don't even know how to speak proper Tagalog. My mom will say that wasn't even my first language in the Philippines. It's her second language. Right. And so it's very fascinating because I tell them, you know, you uh, speak it to each other and you speak English to us. I don't think they even realize they're switching contacts each time that they do. Yeah. It's really fascinating because their perspective is my mom's perspective. She's not an expert in Tagalog, even though she speaks it perfectly. And she doesn't have a Tagalog accent when she speaks English, which is also very bizarre. She'll say it's because it wasn't my first language anyway. Right. So it's fascinating because I don't think they even realize they're doing it when they're switching over. Mm -hmm. For that to be so like clear cut, right. That's very interesting to me because for my household, we did what I refer to as Chinglish was that it was like a blend of Chinese and English that like just words would show up in your sentence and it would be fine because we understood both. And like, I always call it like, I will choose the word that has fewer syllables and just use that in my sentence. So if, so refrigerator is longer in English than it is in Chinese, which is bingshang. And so I will always just use bingshang with my parents because it's faster. (laughs) That's so funny. It's interesting too, because when I see my parents sometimes speak to my husband, so my husband speaks Spanish and English and I speak Spanish, English, but understand Tagalog. And so it's this weird kind of mix And so when we're all together, sometimes when my parents are speaking to my husband, I notice they throw in Tagalog words, like really small ones, but not enough where you lose context. And then I realize like, oh, that's not even an English word. And that doesn't translate in Spanish. Some words in Tagalog are the same in Spanish because of Spain's occupation of the Philippines. And so there's an infusion of a lot of the words that are actually the same. But I'll turn to my husband and like quickly translate like the yeah. word so he knows but my parents don't even realize sometimes they might throw in a random tagalog word yeah. when they're yeah. talking that, to that makes a lot of sense for sure yeah. like i actually recently been calling my parents more often and i find myself having to ask like wait what did that phrase mean right because i can use context clues but at, i'm at a point where i'm like i want to know these things like i don't yeah. want to lose the language like i hated going to chinese school when i was a kid because it ate up like a whole saturday or a whole sunday depending on the phase in my life but I've never once been 
like ignorant of how valuable knowing that language was. Like, even though I hated the process, I never was like this, like, how could you possibly think this is good for me? And I know I always knew. I think language is just so, especially now, right? With like how diverse everything is and how diverse the workforce is, the, the more that you can learn, the just more connections that you can make with other folks. And I just value it so much. So for my kids, I want them to just know like that is the norm. The expectation is you're going to be able to communicate in multiple <laughs> languages. And they're, they, they're they don't know different up. now. Like, <laughs> they're going to grow up in America and be like, wait, but most other people can only speak English and not even that well. <laughs> I know, I know my, my kids now, they'll ask, can you watch movie night? I say, yeah, you can. Pick any Disney movie and it's in Spanish. So like, <laughs> Can we watch an English movie? It's a yes after the Spanish one. So they fall asleep after the Spanish one. So they don't even get to watch the English one. But one day if they stay up late enough, I'll let, let them watch both. Uh, I like that Netflix is doing more like foreign language animated stuff. So then I try to put it on like whatever the native language is and just watch the subtitles because sometimes watching the like the dubbing or like the, the poor translations like really hits me. So I'm like rather just watch it in the native language with the subtitles. It's so hard though. I think I, so I watched, I watched, I watched Squid Games was one. And then I watched my first Korean drama. So I used to make fun of my mom because she would watch it. And my right. UCLA friends would all watch Korean dramas. And I was like, what are you all watching? And then I watched my first one and it was enjoyable. That's <laughs> It's a guilty pleasure. I know. I said, what's going on? Why am I continuing to click next? This is <laughs> because it's drama. We all crave drama. It's so wholesome. But I was really confused because the dubbing was completely different from the translation mm. that I was reading. And I said, I can't fold laundry at the same time because yeah, you have to not, pay attention. You have yeah, to pay yeah. attention because the words are not matching what's actually on screen. I actually saw a movie on Netflix that was like originally in Chinese. And then for some reason, Netflix decided that I needed to watch it in English with the English dub. And then the subtitles were the same thing where it was like the words they were saying in the dub were different from what was translated. And I'm like, wait, guys, why are we doing this? It's just hard. It's sometimes it's it's easier when you actually don't know the language at all. Yes. Otherwise, if you do, you're so when I watch stuff in Spanish with the kids and I'm looking at the translation, like this is so much work for my brain because it's all incorrect with how yes, they're translated. Yes. Yeah. I'll actually have that feeling with Japanese too sometimes because I'm very sensitive to connotation of words. Mm. So sometimes they'll pick a different connotation that I'm like, I don't agree with that. And so I'll like notice it even in the Japanese. Yeah. And then you're like, oh no, what just happened in the movie? I just missed it because of this moment of yeah. not agreeing Luckily, with this translation. I don't, like I get to rewind, right? Like nowadays we're watching everything at home and no one's going to like my household setup. I don't have kids to like care about. And my roommates like, if you want to, then sure, whatever, rewind it. We'll watch it again. <laughs> it's just so fascinating though. I think now that uh, it's more accessible to be able to watch these different things and seeing how language gets interpreted and translated. I think it's a good step that it's happening, but it's very noticeable when uh, it's missing the mark. Yeah. It's just like the early stages of it for sure. Cause I think people are finally getting used to the concept of like subtitles can be normal. <laughs> used to be subtitles were like a really bad thing. Cause I remember going to watch Shang-Chi and they have like a couple of Chinese phrases that they put the subtitles in, in English for. And they, and like, I remember commentary about how like now they could have like they could do that without somehow like disenfranchising some of their audience because now it's become a lot more acceptable that yeah I'm going to make you read during this movie. <laughs> 
and that's okay. <laughs> like, yeah, and now no. it's, it's totally no, like they only did it for like five sentences at most scattered throughout. Right. So it was totally consumable and like super short sentences. So, but um, I like it. I like this direction that yes, it's just making it more just accessible to people, making it more normal to see. And I, I like that. Absolutely. Me too. Okay, so I want to try to circle back a little bit because you have touched on like what you're like you working with college students or people trying to get into college in America. Um, and I know like so since we're on this language topic, so what's that like for students who are not from America trying to write a college essay for America? Oh, that's so that, that is a fascinating thing. So in my first business, the young professionista where I do college admissions career consulting, I have a diverse set of students who I do work with in the United States and also outside. And so I'll focus on the Asian students in particular. But uh, for this conversation, I have some students who in who are U.S. born, who are Asian, but their parents might have been born outside the U.S. And when I'm saying Asian, this is a big range yes. of folks. So it it's could be Indian or Chinese or it could be, there's all sorts of different Korean. There's a whole range of those who fall into the Asian category, Filipino too. And then there are some clients who I have who were, whose parents were born in China live in China now. And their children go to boarding schools that are English boarding schools that may be in China or maybe in different countries. So for those clients in particular, I partner with a, a different company who, where I am the English coach to the student, but they are the liaison to the parent because I don't speak Chinese, right? So right, right. they, they have that connection. So it is fascinating just the range of perspectives here, right? So like I mentioned, for B, what's been really interesting is being able just to see the, the diversity of thought and perspective from different cultures. And for that particular cohort of people, there is education around how to transition from living in China for those families and coming into the United States for a college education. So when it comes to like your question around telling their stories or trying to figure out like what's most important, uh, what's weird for them is this notion of this personal narrative, right? Because yes. in U.S. schools, <laughs> the, a lot of the focus is what's your story, right? And, mm-hmm. and not just your grades and your test scores. Yeah, that matters. And that's the minimum qualifier to be yeah. considered. But what you really want to know, though, is what's your leadership journey? What's your personal journey? What are your hopes and dreams and aspirations? And then I have these students thinking, oh, oh, I got to start talking about personal stuff. Like I have to actually yeah. talk about like, like my It's, it's like a dreams. completely different box for them because yeah. I actually remember now that you're, we're talking about it that so my parents w- did undergrad in Taiwan and their master's here in the States, but they didn't have a, like a college essay aspect to them coming to the States. So when I went to college or when I was applying to college, I was writing my personal essay. And in California, it's like a standard essay you send to like all of them if you wanted to. Like I like I spoke fluent English. I actually really like writing and I wrote fan fiction as a teenager. So I was very confident with my writing skills. So I wrote my essay and then my parents were just like this huge pressure on their shoulders of like trying to get me to go to college because my brother at the time hadn't gone to college yet and he's older by three years. So they were like, my mom literally told me, you are mommy's last hope. <laughs> like, to- <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which, you know, as a kid, you're like, what the hell did you just say to me? <laughs> like, <laughs> and it makes sense now. And like, I, I'm hoping to get a different therapist friend on to the podcast to explain why we had like that kind of relationship. But 
she actually tried to write my college essay for me and she like slipped it under my door and it was like, hi, my name is, and then my legal name. And then like, you know, like with the college essays, it's like word limits. So, so I was like, why, what, (laughs) just completely disconnect from what was expected. I think there's such a interest in seeing especially in Asian families, right? Their children go to college, right? There's a, mm-hmm. a big interest in having that sort of like pedigree, especially for the students who I work with who are, whose families are based in China. This is where kind of this, I don't want to say clash, but where I bring different perspective over mm-hmm. to what success might look like. Right. So it's very, sometimes, and that's why I'm also particular about the families I do work with now, because before okay. when I was first in business, it was sure. Anybody who wants help, I'll help. As you do when you start. (laughs) Yeah. And then I realized, nope, there's clients I want to work with and clients I do not. So there are some families who I work with who are abroad and the families are, well, it's Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, or Yale. And anything else doesn't matter. And my kid needs to be a doctor. And then you speak to the kid and it's like, oh, I don't want to go to those schools. I don't even want to be a doctor. Right. And so Mm. when that happens, it depends on whether or not that's a household that is open to growth mindsets. And if so, I will work with them. If they are not, I say, I'm not the coach for you because that's not my style. Uh, Because my big thing is helping the student figure out like, what do they actually want? And who are they as a person and coming to terms with their story? And so I can see where sometimes there's that pressure of wanting your child to really go after like this big thing or whatever the parent might be thinking. And it's not just Asian households, but I think that I do see that predominantly in uh, the the Asian households. But I do also want to say that I also have encountered Asian families where they are so supportive and so, so supportive, whatever the kid wants, as long as they're happy and successful and can pay the bills. Right. So there's this big dichotomy of what I am seeing in terms of just different cultures and different uh, like level of um, exposure to kind of the U S system. And then even within the families that are in China as well, there are some though, who are like that, where they are just such proponents of their kids doing whatever they're, that would make them happy. Right. So it's just such an interesting time for me to be able to see like the level of diversity in Mm -hmm. all these different cultures. Yeah. As a first-generation Asian-American, I grew up trying to fit into the boxes other people put me in. I considered acting, voice acting, and writing as career options when I was little, but ended up joining corporate America as an IT project manager to take the Asian parent-approved path. The good news is, it's not too late for me to follow those more creative goals, but I didn't have the energy to work both my corporate job and follow those passions. And I couldn't shake the cultural directive to be financially stable so that my parents wouldn't have to worry about me. It's so ingrained in me that it's difficult to focus on more creative pursuits or what might be considered passion projects without the financial backing to support myself. That's why I'm such a big fan of building systems and financial foundations that leverage my hashtag very Asian frugal money habits and the more expansive abundance mindset that I strive to embody every day. While sitting at my corporate job feeling like there must be more to life than this, I spent years learning and absorbing information about how to become financially independent, invest in real estate and stocks, and build a business. And now, I'm on track to retire by 40. But more than that, I have the freedom to dress how I want, because how I dress now is certainly not considered professional, adopt unconventional pronouns, and work fewer hours to support my physical and mental health. 
I get to choose what clients I work with, who I spend time with, and what boundaries I need to set in order to keep the toxic expectations and hustle culture at bay. And I want that for you too. If you're ready to make your next big money move and build the financial foundations you need to feel like you can show up as your full self, I have an offer for you. My Generational Wealth Building Money Mentorship Program is three months of direct access to me and my brain to cut through all of the noise and conflicting information on the internet and get you where you need to be financially. Get a wealth building strategy, action plan, curated resources, and emotional support to put you on the path towards your abundant life. The link is in the show notes. Well, let's touch on for your your family and your upbringing. Like, did your parents pressure you to go to college? And then what was like their other expectations around your career? So college was just always, I didn't know there was another option. It was just after high school, right? And yes. so I was the very first person in both sides of the family, extended family to go to college. And so for my mom, I asked her this too, prior to our podcast, I said, hey, mom, um, what were your expectations on college? She said, you know, actually, Grace. Uh, and so at home, I'm Grace. I mentioned earlier, I was Mary for mm-hmm. uh, for that first grade experience. And at home, I'm Grace, because Mary Grace is too long to say when you're at home. <laughs> so, so you said, Grace, you know, I, I actually just wanted you to go to college. I didn't really actually care what job you had. I just wanted to be able to say like, my kids went to college because that was something that in our upbringing was just so far as a dream. Like no one mm-hmm. could actually get into college and to be able to have you pursue whatever it is you want to learn and then finish it. Like for them, that was success to be able to have us learn whatever we wanted to. Right. So, so for me, I didn't even know college was not an option. However, (laughs) my dad, I remember him saying when I was in high school, like, yes, you're on this college path. And, and if you do want to create generational wealth and really have unlimited earning potential, you also have to think about entrepreneurship. Right. So I think Mm. that kind of embedded in me, the education career path, day job kind of path, but also entrepreneurship. And I guess those seeds that got planted when I was younger blossomed because now I have all this stuff going on. But I think when it came to education, uh, and especially because as they, they migrated over and no one in my family had the opportunity to go to college, my parents were brilliant. You know, my, my mom was a straight A student, but didn't have a chance to be able to pursue college. My dad too, he came over and then he pursued uh, his uh, certifications and became a machinist. So he got to build rocket ships and nice. satellites and all these cool things. And they had seen me growing up that I just had this affinity to learning. I just loved learning. I, when I was little, my mom used to get upset because she would buy me these novels and I finished reading them in a day and say, can I have more? And so she'd say, Grace, can you read slower? Because like, there's just read them. I can read money. Yeah. Can you read them slower? Or I just was just so interested in learning because it was fun. And so like my dad, I mentioned he was a machinist when I was in fourth grade, he'd say, do you want to learn trigonometry? And I said, yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. And then I would learn it and I would just know it. Right. And so it was, it was just fun. And so they saw that I had this affinity just for learning and mm-hmm. I'm seeing that with my ki- one of my kids now and I'm trying to figure out like how do I support that without messing him up because I want it to always be fun right like the, learning the is of fun. the parental question right how do yeah. I do it without messing it up yeah I'm like uh he likes learning so much I want him to always feel like it's fun and I think for me that kind of growth mindset they embedded in me when I was young right like of treat everything as a student. You are learning. Even mm-hmm. in my day job, I think that's what has helped me be successful yes. with keeping on this learner mindset. And that totally is from my parents of like, 
it's like school. You're just learning. Keep having fun doing it, right? And so I think that was that was the expectation kind of around college was. So yes, in terms of like looking back, I was a straight A student. Yes, I graduated valedictorian. I had all that stuff, right? Yeah. But it was but I think that the thing though with my parents, it wasn't like a you must beat everybody else mm-hmm. type of perspective. They embedded in me with a, you must always be yourself. Like you are competing only with yourself. You're not competing with anyone else, right? That has always been the mindset that they have kind of embedded in me. So it was never a competition against others. It was always a competition mm-hmm. against myself, right? And so I think for me, that was really freeing because I wasn't really looking at everyone else. I was helping them, right? I would right. I'd be very open to helping other people, but that wasn't always reciprocated in high school, I remember, where I would help all these classmates who asked for help. And then one day when I would ask other people, like, hey, you got that answer. Can I can I learn how you did that? I remember this one student, who's now a lawyer, by the way, he turned to me and said, why would I help you? I'm Aww. competing against you, right? And so Aww. for me to grow up with this, like, oh, we're not competing against each other. We're just competing about ourselves yeah. and trying to be the best us. So I think that for me, in terms of education and college expectation, it it had always been there as it was our pathway to be able to grow and create this kind of generational step forward. And then for me, like I mentioned, my a lot of my family still in the Philippines, and in my twenties and even in my late teens, I remember I was I was sending my own money that I was generating to yeah. help family in the Philippines to be able to get their college educations or to get their high school educations. I couldn't fund everybody, but I funded a couple of cousins and said, it is going to be your job to help the other cousins there Mm, to be able to do what they need to do. So education has always just been this um, step to be able to change current situation for us. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned how you were like, okay, we're going to all like pay this forward, like that, that thought process, because I had that very explicit in my family where my mom would say, we're going to help you pay for college. Right. And I got a scholarship, so it didn't have to be a whole bunch from out of their pockets, but like they funded the rest of what couldn't be covered by the scholarship. And the deal was very explicitly stated to me. And I've asked a few friends, so they don't all have like that same conversation. But for me, it was, we're paying for college so that you fund our retirement when we get older. And that was like the exchange of like, I'd have maybe like 30 years in between me finishing college before that loan basically became due. <laughs> well, I think like they, they sacrifice so much, right? For, in order yes. for you to have whatever it is you have. And even when I look at it, my, my parents had to move their entire, my mom mm. had to leave her entire family behind. Right. And so yes. there's all these things where I'm just so grateful. They don't put that in my face and say, you must be grateful for it. Right. But I looking at it think, wow, that was a huge sacrifice yeah. and I want to, right. So what, as soon as I was able to, I started spoiling them as quickly as possible, right? Of like getting them all the things I know that they'd want. Or right. now I've been so fortunate. They have moved up to Northern California. They sold their house in LA and I, I have a second house that I've built here on my property and they are here with me now. Oh, and so you have like that in-law suite yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's been phenomenal because I hadn't, I haven't lived with my family since I was 18 and I moved to college. Right. So mm-hmm. it's been so wonderful. And for me, I grew up with my grandparents around. I love my grandparents so much that 
I named my first two children. Their middle names are are in homage oh. to my to my grandparents. Awesome. And so to have my parents around, it's been like such a blessing and gift. And so like you're mentioning, uh, my dad would jokingly say when people asked him, what are your retirement plans? He'd say, oh, my daughter, right? What are you talking about? This living, breathing thing is going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And, but now that they're up here, I, I tell them, like, don't worry about any bills. Don't worry about, I'll be, I will take care of everything, right? So they're retired. Yeah. Well, my mom's too young to be retired. She's still in her fifties, but I just, I said, you know, don't worry about anything up here. And they have been help, so helpful with, especially with raising my kids yes. because I've got now two with a third on the way. Mm-hmm. And so they have been just so incredibly helpful with uh, helping out with the family. Yeah. I had my grandparents in the household when I was young too. And I love it when families are like close enough that that's a healthy relationship that they can have where the grandkids can be around their parents, especially like in immigrant families. Like how else are you? There's no way when I have kids that like my dad did all this research about where our last name came from, where our family came from and all of it, but it's all in Chinese. And I'm like, dad, we're going to have to record that because I can't then like retrace your notes and explain it to my children. So like, I, I want to be able to preserve that. And the, the fact that like both my dad and my mom went through that journey of trying to find their last names from China because they grew up in Taiwan. Like the fact that they had that urge to go figure that out tells me that like, this is something that's like inherent in us that we're, we want to know where we come from. And I think that sometimes when people who don't know where they come from, like if they're multiple generations American, and especially if you're white and you have no clue what kind of white, like where in Europe you came from, that's actually kind of scary that you don't know and you, you wish you knew. And then when you see that somebody else does, that's where some of that, like those um, conflicts and the racism comes from is because they're so afraid of like being disconnected that they've lashed out at people who do know where they're from. Now that memorialization, I think is really important. I did some of that when I was, I'm so thankful for the teachers that asked us to interview our grandparents Mm. and put that story down. Cause I had such a positive way in which like my grandparents would just give us these stories and so freely share them. And then even like you mentioned, having your grandparents around, especially if you have that healthy relationship, my grandmother Grandmother Teo, which my oldest son's middle name is Teo. So my grandmother Teo, she worked, she worked in a hospital. She worked up until the day she passed, was like super feisty and just like this go-getter and matriarch of the family, plus like the sassy. I just loved her. She was just such a personality. But all the stories that she was able to share, and we were able to memorialize that. For my dad, one of the things that I asked him to do, he didn't know this, but for one of his birthdays, I was asking him for different recipes that he cooks because he's just this natural cook. He's just really, the men in our family are blessed with nice. chef skills. Um, the women are blessed with learning the chef skills, but I think the men <laughs> have like this natural ability. So I would interview my dad and he didn't know I was recording them. And then well, after a year of like asking all these questions, I put them into a recipe book with pictures and all these things. And and so I published one for myself and my brother and my dad, right? To be able Aww. to memorialize that. Yeah. And then there was another where I said, I want my kids to learn his stories one day. And so I signed up for one of those subscriptions where you get different prompts every week and you just kind of answer them. And then I turned that into a book so we can learn all this stuff about him, right? Of his childhood and yeah. these things in his life. I think it's 52 stories in his life bound together in a book. And I think those things are just so, so helpful to understand kind of how things change over time and how our values kind of carry on throughout different generations. And so for me, I'm so 
I'm so into like memorializing that, mm, right? Like, creating videos to it. capture these experiences and now like creating these books that my kids can touch and read. I think super important to, to keep that because after two generations, you start yeah. losing that ability to yes. ask those questions. For sure. Do you remember the name of that service you used to get the prompts? Yeah, I think it's StoryWorth. So okay. I can uh, share with you the link. Actually, I think I have a link where you can get $10 off or something. So I can see if I have it. <laughs> but it's such a helpful thing. It's also kind of weird though, because when you ask your parents, like, are you willing to write these things? And they're like, oh, I don't know, right? I, I don't know yeah. if I want to. But my dad ended up, he was, he was being really good about it. My mom, we're still working on her. <laughs> <I'm responding> to- <laughs> well, my parents are also retired, so they've got some free time. So I want to see either if they're willing to write it or if they will just do it over the phone, right? And I'll write it down because I would argue, like my dad worked in the US for, I don't even know, like over 30 years, right? So his English is really good. And my mom's is too, except when she gets stressed. <laughs> that's when it falls apart. And I can just imagine them being like, that's a lot of work. And I'm like, well, just tell it to me in Chinese. I'll write it down in English, whatever. Like, it'll be fine. Whatever language. And same thing with my dad. He said, it's going to take too long. And I said, just even if it's a sentence or two, I'll take it. Like whatever it is you're willing to write, it's fine. And then when he published the book, he said, oh, but this is so short. I said, because you only wrote a sentence (laughs) or two to answer it. So that's why that section is short, dad. And then the ones that were longer, because you wrote more. So if you want to expand on it, here's a Sharpie, go ahead. (laughs) Or volume two, we could do volume two if you want to do more. But I I do think that those stories are, are so, it's just so nice to read, right? Like one of the things that we have from my great grandfather and my great grandmother were these love letters that they used to write each other from the US and the Philippines. Like we actually have a little box wow. of the love letters that they'd send, right? Or like the update pictures and the update things yeah, they'd send. Yeah. And it's just so sweet to be able to see like the love that yes. blossomed, right? And the appreciation they had of each other. And so I think those sorts of things, it just helps you stay connected to yes. your past. And then now all of those are like email and text that people delete it carelessly. I know. I was just telling my husband because so much, my husband before we married, we were best friends in, mm-hmm. in high school. And I don't know if you have any of the old email servers like Yahoo or whatever it was. Yeah, I have the Yahoo But now one. they like cleared all their <laughs> old oh, data. No. And so I told them, I said, I logged into Yahoo for the first time in I don't know how many years. And I said, they cleared out my whole childhood because it's all gone. Oh, <laughs> no. All, yeah. So I said, you see, this is why like these paper things these are, paper actually things are worth something. Right. Because I actually had a childhood friend who moved to Taiwan and we like corresponded for a little bit. And every once in a while, like she would either mail me something or I'd mail her something um, or like she would just wait till she came to visit and then give it to me. Right. But it was like a physical thing. And I still have these in my childhood room in well not my childhood room the room that my parents keep for me when I visit in in their attic <laughs> but it's there in, in that house <laughs> so those like physical things you know I, I, I'm all digital too right like I've, almost everything is but so for some of these things like that I'm looking at it thinking it's super helpful to have physical copies of these yes. memorialized things because you never know when some of the big data companies will start wiping out data just because storage yeah. issues. <laughs> or you just have to back them up in like three different companies or yeah. And I've yeah. started, um, like, yeah, I'm similar. All my like photo albums, albums are digital. Even the one actually my uncle got my grandmother a digital photo album that we have like an app. So me and my cousins that are both outside of California can actually upload our photos from our phones and then it'll show up in grandma's photo album. 
and we can see each other's in the app. So it's like our personal social media for our family. So it's, you know, then it's also super wholesome and uh, like none of the extra stuff. But I have started like printing some out myself because like, first of all, I never see them unless I look at a particular screen and they're, they're just all such great memories. I think that is way better than what my family currently has. So I have the family text going on and there's so much data. (laughs) Are you using SMS or like a different app? There's like two people who don't have iPhones. So it's SMS, right? Some Mm -hmm. of it is coming through and I'm like, oh gosh, there's like a hundred pictures on this thread. I'm going to have to like individual. And some of them are like seven of the same pose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Then you have to like individually save them down and they end up in a different folder. Yeah. Actually I have a few from my mom gave me her phone when I went home last time and she showed me some like vacation photos. I was like, I want these too. So I just texted them to myself, but now they live like in this weird spot on my phone where I'm like, I gotta be careful not to delete these. I gotta figure (laughs) out how to get them on the cloud. Like, (laughs) so inefficient. I'm like, I, I need to have better data storage for family text yes. in particular because I've got all these family strings with all these pictures I don't want to lose. And this is like not the best way. But anyway, yeah. we got off on a tangent regarding it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, yeah, there's a lot there. So I, I absolutely love that you get to have your parents around and like memorialize all of those things. So we talked about like a lot of the the past, what you've seen with your students. Um, what are you hoping for your children? Like they're going to grow up as like mixed race in California Bay Area. They are going to the immersion for language, but what else are you hoping like that to guide them in or how they're going to experience their identity? I think for me, what I am hoping for them is to get exposure to all these different elements and to understand where they come from and then pick and choose what they want to define as who they are, right? So I think my job is to expose them to, this is your dad's upbringing. This is the humble beginnings of which your generations have before you have come. And here is the Filipino side. Here is the Mexican side. Here are the stories of how you know we made the decisions we did so that you can take the lessons learned and figure out for yourself what you want for mm-hmm. yourself to be able to tell your children one day right so i think for me it's giving them the tools to be able to understand their history and giving them that exposure but then at that point i think it's up to them to decide how they want to define themselves and what rings most true for them so i think they're going to be encountering something a little different than my husband and me and that mm-hmm. they are going to be in a very much, I grew up in a, in this mixed culture too, but yep. Filipino is predominant for them. They are going to different households and different households speak different languages. And, yes. you know, they don't look a certain way for to right. say like, it's very easily like, Oh, you are Filipino or I could see that UK influence or, Oh, you're from Mexico. Right. So I think they're going to encounter something a little different than my husband and me. And so I just want them to understand why, why is it that mm-hmm. that's the way and that it encourages them also to be open-minded too of for my husband and me, we're, we're merging two different cultures together to create our joint family culture. And for my kids to understand that, you know, despite whatever differences there might be between cultures, uh, that you can still have a lot of love and understanding and that they understand that from an early age. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And while you were explaining that, right, of like the, the merged culture thing, right? It, what comes to my mind is I 
feel like sometimes we think, oh, if you're of a particular heritage, you like there are like set rules of how you handle like holidays this way or how you dress or how you eat and all of those things. And you're in a scenario where you're basically forced to say, no, that's not how this works. We just do whatever we love to do as a family unit that like you choose which of those customs that you want to carry forward or how you might like frame things a little bit differently for them so that they understand the whys and not just the like, these are the rules or the customs and rituals that might come with just like the label of what our like ethnic identity is like genetically. Yeah. I think, I think one way that we can see that really prevalent though, is like how we throw birthday parties. I just threw a birthday party for my son who is turning four in July, but because I am giving birth in July for my third child, we are <laughs> celebrating it a whole month early. So we celebrated it in early June. What does he uh, think about that? <laughs> so he, it was really funny because on his birthday, he would say, happy birthday. How does it feel to be four? And he's three. He would explain, <laughs> I'm not three yet. I turn four next month. But it's just my birthday today and I am not four yet. So you can explain. That age range is when they get like really specific yeah. about how old they are, right? Yeah, like they'll yeah. even tell you the halves when they are halfway through. Exactly. And he's and he's tall for his age, but has been is a taller person. My husband was five eleven when he was eleven, right? So my kids I think have, wow. have um, inherited in contrast to me telling you earlier, I was always <laughs> in the front row of my photos. <laughs> Another thing where my children are experiencing something different than I did. So my my three year old blends in. He's in like soccer with four and five year olds, and he blends in because he's a little bit taller. But he wants to be transparent about his age, except for when he's around older kids. He pretends that he doesn't remember how old he is. So he'll turn to me and say, "How old am I, mommy?" I'm like, "It's okay to be honest. It's okay to tell them you're, you're still, oh, yeah, yeah, still little." Um, but yeah, so what I was gonna say is in, in these family parties, which is really funny. What some things we, my husband and I pay attention to is even like the music mix of making mm. sure it's like half and half so that yes. everyone feels inclusive included or like the food we'll have like the Filipino food. We'll also have Mexican food. So instead of choosing one or the other, we just get all of them. And so we put them all together. You order from two different places. Yeah, we, do. we literally do. We have like two different places. So we'll have like a taco station or then we'll have like the Filipino stuff here. And we still have like all treats that are from both sides. And it's, it's funny because now both sides of the family look forward to each other's culture. So yeah. they'll say, oh, where's the, whatever it is. That it's unique and special, right? Yeah. yeah. So they know that they're going to eat twice because we've got two different <laughs> kind of stations and they know that, know that they're going to be able to enjoy each other's culture. So it's been That's pretty awesome. Fun. Absolutely love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Mary Grace. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, I think we've touched on a lot, and but I know that there's a lot more that we may have you come back for to share about at a later time. So thank you for your time. Is there anything else you would like my audience to know, either about like being Asian American or about like opportunities coming up in your businesses? So about being Asian American, I would say that... For me, it's been infused in everything that I do, right? I don't let it dictate everything I do, but it's noticeable regarding the kind of upbringing that I've had. And I always tend to try to remember like my roots, right? I would tell mm. in the different circles that I'm in where maybe our lives might be way different than 10 or 20 years ago or the generations before us. And I do think it's important to remember your roots, right? And remember where you came from and how that might influence your perspective, because yes. if not, we can easily lose that, right? And lose that diversity of thought. 
And then in terms of what's happening in my business, uh, one of the big things is I'm launching a new program. So if folks are interested in checking it out, it's called Pathway to Personal Mastery. It's a professional development and personal development program. And we have a diverse cohort of folks going through it who are looking to create systems to improve uh, processes in their lives to reach personal professional goals. So if folks would like to check that out, if you go to pathwaytopersonalmaster.com, it'll send you to the latest sign up for our next webinar. So uh, you can check out that if you want to stay connected and join one of my free classes. Awesome. And that's where like all this Lean Six Sigma, like all the things that like would make our Asian parents jealous, like those are all going to show up in there, aren't they? That is, that is true. It's about how to optimize systems in your life to get the life that you want. So yes, all those other tools and systems are embedded in that program. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Mary Grace. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I know that something in this episode left you feeling, oh my God, that's so me. And I want to hear about it. Leave a review on iTunes or tag me on social media and share your relatable story with us so that we can normalize our experiences as Asian Americans and help more people feel safe to step outside of the box. I can't wait to hear about it. You can find me on Instagram at tj.wey and don't forget to design your abundant life.